Dedicated to the survival of American democracy in an increasingly dangerous world, this is Secure Freedom Radio with Frank Gaffney, acted as Assistant Secretary of Defense for International Security Policy under President Ronald Reagan, founder and president of the Center for Security Policy in Washington, D.C., the go-to man for defense and foreign policy issues, joined by the greatest minds in the security policy business, the special forces in the war of ideas at Secure Freedom Radio with Frank Gaffney. Welcome to Secure Freedom Radio. This is Frank Gaffney, your host and guide for what I think of as an intelligence briefing on the war for the free world. It is with the greatest of pleasure that I am able to say we are graced by the considerable intelligence of a man whose business it is to monitor and explain to the rest of us what is going on in Asia and what it might mean for us. He is, of course, The inimitable Gordon Chang, you find him in all the right places. You can see him at Fox with great regularity. You also will read his writings, among other places, at the Daily Beast. He is the author of two tremendously important books, The Coming Collapse of China and Nuclear Showdown, North Korea Takes on the World. Gordon, welcome back. Good to have you as always. Oh, thank you so much, Frank. Well, we're talking, Gordon, of course, against the backdrop of um, a new diplomatic confab on what is going on in Asia, the ASEAN meeting, as it's called in Australia, seemingly growing concerns about both what's happening in the South China Sea and in North Korea. No surprise there, I reckon. But what was somewhat surprising, I must say, is a recent assessment by your good self that the president's efforts to find a way of denuclearizing North Korea may have as high as an 85% probability of success. Sink me. (laughs) Tell me how you've arrived at that conclusion. It seems like a very long shot to me. Yeah, I was talking about the probability of the meeting actually taking place between Trump and Kim. Ah, it's just the meeting. Okay, got it. There's certainly a lot of incentive on the part of both parties to actually meet, especially Kim, because he wants sanctions relief. Trump's sanctions, UN sanctions, have really cut off the flow of cash to Kim Jong-un. And so um, Kim, I think, certainly wants to show up. Now, it's going to take some time. It may not occur before the end of May, as Trump has talked about. But I think that it will occur sometime this year. Well, I'm just reading from uh, the PGA Media interview with you, and it sounded as though you were saying that it's not just the meeting that will take place, but it will result in a commitment by President Kim Jong-un of North Korea to give up his nuclear ambitions, and that if the pressure is maintained, Kim will be likely to fulfill such a promise. Um, That's, I guess, the part that I found a stretch, Gordon, but just walk us through, say the meeting takes place, there's seemingly not been much evidence that the North Koreans are even acquainting their people with the fact that the meeting is in the works, let alone that they have committed to make some sort of progress on denuclearizing the nation. I'm told to the contrary that they're actually continuing to brandish their nuclear capabilities. So I I just wonder whether, in fact, something really promising is in the works. What do you think? Well, certainly the North Koreans don't want to give up their nukes. The Chinese don't want to pressure them. This really is a American issue, though, rather than a North Korean or a Chinese one. Um, You know, if President Trump keeps up the pressure on sanctions, which he has promised, 
then I think that essentially the regime is either going to fall apart or Kim is going to realize that he has no choice but to disarm. And and the reason is that Kim doesn't have money. Of course, he can't launch missiles. He can't detonate nukes. He's not going to have cash for gift politics, which we've talked about. This is Kim giving luxury items to senior regime members to keep their loyalty. If he can't keep their loyalty, Frank, um, you know, this regime can easily dissolve, especially because Kim's put a lot of pressure on other people with the executions, the purges, and all the rest of it. So um, this is really an issue for Trump. If Trump does what he says, I think we get to a peaceful denuclearization of North Korea. So this is not you know, a question of, of deviousness of the North Koreans. Of course, they're devious. It's a question of what the United States will do. Yeah. Well, listen, from your lips to God's ears, as they say, Gordon Chang, nothing could make me happier. I do want to just underscore something that you said, which I think doesn't get enough attention. And that is that these totalitarian systems, even with all of the brainwashing and the police state apparatus and so on, can in fact prove to be highly fragile when the right sorts of pressure is brought to bear. I remember vividly Uh, Nicolae Ceausescu, the president for life of Romania, being one day very much in power and the next day being a corpse because the um, people with the guns around him turned them on him. So this may well be what comes next, uh, but I I frankly would put a higher probability of success on that than I would have uh, changing Kim Jong-un's mind. We will watch it closely, as will you. Gordon, let me turn to another topic that we've discussed in the past that seems to have had a happy ending, at least so far, and that is the effort that uh, this Singaporean company Broadcom was making. It seemed to be on behalf of China uh, to take over a very important American IT company, Qualcomm. Remind us what was at stake and what happened. What's at stake is the future of wireless communications for at least a decade and maybe even longer than that. That's 5G, which has high speeds, much higher than the current 4G, and it'll connect almost everything in your home and in your office. Um, The issue here is not so much Broadcom's connection to China, although we can talk about that. The most important thing is that Broadcom, uh, which will soon become a U.S. company, domesticated into the U.S. at their May 6th shareholders meeting, um, has a business model that um, is antithetical to Qualcomm's way of doing business. Qualcomm invests a lot of money into a technology, into patents. That's why it has a wall of patents in San Diego. really shows it off. Um, but they spent a lot of money on development of 5G. Shareholders don't like that. Broadcom's model is to come in, buy a company, break it into pieces, and realize shareholder value. Now, shareholders love that. But nonetheless, it would undermine Qualcomm's ability to make the investments to challenge China for 5G. If Qualcomm doesn't win the 5G race, we know who will. That is Huawei of China, which is nominally a private company, but it really looks to be an arm of the People's Liberation Army. So um, the issue for President Trump, as he mentioned in his notice where he um, ordered Broadcom to cease and desist, The issue there is the business model. And fortunately, Trump put the dots together, and I think we should congratulate him. We're telling basically the rest of the world that we will compete in 5G. Yeah, look, I have to tell you, Gordon Chang, that I have real misgivings about this whole Internet of Things idea. But it is surpassingly stupid and reckless to 
entrust it to Huawei or any other hostile power. Um, they may have means of getting into it uh, under the best of circumstances, and who knows what that could portend for privacy or even our personal safety. But the idea that they'll be arranging it uh, or otherwise in charge of it is really reckless in the extreme. So you're right. Uh, Donald Trump deserves credit for having pulled the plug on that. Let me ask you about one other thing, Gordon. Your portfolio, of course, is primarily Asia, but uh, there's a country that spans the European-Asian uh, vastness of uh, much of the continent, and that, of course, is Russia. Uh, there's been an election of sorts uh, in which Vladimir Putin, unsurprisingly, won a crushing victory. What do you make of it? What does it portend? Well, Putin's going to be around for another six years or so. Um, and obviously, he's in a position where he can't leave, or at least he can't leave alive. And, and this is the problem for a country that we look at on this program, uh, and that is China. Xi Jinping has um, extended uh, basically his ability to rule. Um, the least important of his posts is president, and he has uh, abolished term limits for the presidency and the vice presidency. And that means that he intends to rule for life. I think Xi Jinping has the same imperative that Putin has, which is to completely dominate their countries. And so we're going to see essentially Putin and Xi Jinping around for a long time. Unless, of course, as we talked about earlier, you know, we get rid of them. And these regimes are fragile, especially Russia. And so, you know, right now, the Trump administration has sort of viewed China and Russia in, in different light. We saw that in the national security strategy where he called them rivals and malign influences, that's a very good start to better policies on the part of the United States towards Moscow and Beijing. Yeah. Well, you're right. It's um, not unique to Putin that he is establishing essentially a, a permanent presidency, but it is alarming. And so is that of Xi Jinping, needless to say. Gordon, as always, your shedding of light on these subjects and helping the rest of us think through what they mean for us and what our policies should be with regard to them is really appreciated, as is your visit with us each week. Thank you. Come back to us again next week. I hope the rest of you will stay tuned as we turn to Claudia Rosette, who's been doing some very important work thinking through the Russian threat with her right after this. Visit us at facebook.com slash securefreedom with Frank Gaffney. Thank you.